Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 is what we're going to be looking at in God's Word this morning. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Well, when I was in uh, seminary, I was on my way to school one morning and I was listening to a Christian radio program that many of you have probably heard of called Focus on the Family. And that particular day, they were talking about writing letters to your children. Well, we had just found out that we were going to have our first child, Hannah, and I had been thinking about some of those kind of things anyway, just kind of reflecting on becoming a parent. Many of you understand what that's about. When you start having kids, you start thinking about things a little bit differently, don't you? But the program happened to be about writing a letter to your children when they're born, or at least early in their life, and telling them what they mean to you. Realizing that there were going to be days ahead that both of you together that were going to live together, maybe there would be some good and maybe some not so good days, they suggested that at the front end of their life, you share your heart with them, that you tell your children how much you love them, and you explain to them that though things might get kind of bumpy along the way while they were growing up and while you were trying to raise them, that you explain to them that from the beginning, your desire and your intention was to love them and to give them the best that you possibly could for their lives, and that you were glad that God had given them to you and to your family. Well, something about that program really touched me, so I sat down that day and I wrote a letter to Hannah. And not long after that, we found out that we were going to have number two, Josh, and I sat down and I wrote a letter to Josh. And the Lord reminded me this week that I'm a little behind on Lindsay and Drew. Uh, (laughs) So I think I'm going to write her a as-you-begin-kindergarten letter. But I want you to think about that for a moment. What would it mean to you if when you graduated from high school or when you got married or when you began to have your own children or maybe at the end of your parents' life, they presented you with a letter like that that they had written to you personally long ago? How does it feel when somebody says to you, I've been thinking about you? I mean, many times they'll say, you know what, for the last couple of days, I've been thinking about you. Maybe if you're really special to somebody, they would say, I've had you on my mind for the last month. I mean, it just seems like for the last three or four weeks, every time I turn around, I'm thinking about you or I'm reminded of you. I think if somebody were to say to us 30 years ago, you were a critical piece of my life. If somebody said that, that would have to be somebody who was pretty special to our lives, wouldn't it? And it would be a pretty emotional thing for us to hear, wouldn't it? But what if I told you that there is somebody who has been, who has had you on their mind for all of history? Even before the world started, there is someone who is thinking about you. Well, we're going to turn our Bibles to Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6 today, because we're doing a study of the book of Ephesians. And we're thinking about the theme of this study is knowing what you have and using it. And I shared with you last time that we could break this book down basically into two sections. Chapters 1 through 3 kind of tell us knowing what you have. And then chapters 4 through 6 tell us, okay, here's how to use it. So for the next couple of chapters, we're going to be learning what we have in Jesus Christ. And that is introduced for us today in verse 3 by an overarching statement that the Apostle Paul makes. And, And it's a statement that's led some to call... It a a run-on sentence. (laughs) 
I mean, I don't know if you've ever read the book of uh, Ephesians before, but it can be a little bit difficult to read uh, because of that nature. It's a little bit of a, a run-on sentence. Uh, other people have called it, I think more appropriately, a litany of praise. And I want you to catch the picture here. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul starts talking about the Lord. And he starts considering all that God has done for us, and he just can't stop. I mean, he just starts saying, I got to tell you, here has, here's how God's blessed us. And from verses 3 through th- verse 14, it's like one single sentence that just keeps flowing from Paul's mouth as he's trying to understand and he's trying to help us understand all that God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, as I said, that's kicked off by one big sentence in verse 3 that says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul says, bless God. Bless God, the one who has blessed us. And this God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Now that's a big statement, isn't it? I don't know. I've spent a week thinking through this, praying. I've spent months actually preparing for this series, thinking through and praying and trying to understand all that it is that God's done for us. And I want to tell you, I still haven't got my arms around it yet. And I've got to share with you, as I've shared with you before, to pray for me as we go through this series because I'm swimming in the deep end of the pool. And I'm not a very good swimmer. This is big. This is heavy stuff. But I don't want it to discourage us from go ahead and diving in. Amen? Let's just see what we can find. He says, God has given us every. Now, isn't it exciting that though we cannot fathom all that God has done for us, at least we know the principle, at least we know the concept, God has not held back anything that's good for me and you. He's given us every spiritual blessing. Now, by spiritual, that doesn't necessarily mean theoretical or invisible, but I believe what it's talking about is it's it's referring to the source of the blessings, not the kind of blessings. And what I mean by that is these are the blessings that have been given by God through His Spirit to us. So this includes unseen things, yes, but it also includes things that we can see. And the word blessing means, it's the word we get our word eulogy from. So it means to say a good word about someone. So the Bible says God has given us every good thing that you can say that could possibly come from His Spirit. That's pretty good, isn't it? God has held nothing back from us. By His Spirit, He has given us every good thing. Listen, my friend, in Christ, there is nothing that we lack. Isn't that good? Many people are praying for things that they already have that have already been made available to them in Christ. If you are a child of God, you are waiting on nothing else. You have everything that you ever have need of or ever will need in your life or in eternity, you already have made available to you. Now, how would it change your life to know that so much resource was made available to you? Is it possible that there are people including us, that have incredible resources made available to them in Jesus Christ, but they're not using them. You may have heard of a a lady named Hetty Green who died in 1916. When she died, she became known as America's greatest miser. 
She left an estate valued at over a hundred million dollars. But when she was alive, she ate cold oatmeal because she didn't want to pay for the cost of heating it. Her son had to have his leg amputated because it took him so long to find the free doctor's clinic that he lost his leg and it was beyond saving. Another couple was found dead in their apartment and they had suffered from severe malnutrition. When the authorities searched their apartment, they found $40,000 stuffed in paper bags in a closet. Is it possible that people can have all that they need and they can still go away starving? I'm sure we can't understand all that God has done for us, but if we could understand that a little better... I believe it could change our lives today. And that's what Paul leads. God leads Paul to share in verses 3 through 14. Now, just to give you the breakdown of this, some Bible teachers have observed that these verses can be broken down in several ways. You kind of see an emphasis in these verses on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So uh, people that say, I don't know where the Trinity is in the Bible, will read it. (laughs) It's right there. I mean, it's mingled all throughout these verses and almost gives an outline of what he's talking about here. He talks about the ministry of the Father, the ministry of the Son, the ministry of the Spirit. It's not quite that distinct and clear-cut, but certainly that emphasis is throughout. But we're going to follow more of a pattern of past, present, and future. And we want to see that one of the first blessings that God has done for us is much like me writing that letter to my children when they were born. We want to think about today, you were always on God's mind. You were always on His mind. Let's look first of all in verses 3 through 4 that He had a purpose for you. In verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God, we've read that, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, is actually the way you could pronounce that, or translate that, in the heavenlies in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Now, I need to remind you as we start looking at this, the book of Ephesians is written to believers. It's written to people who have put their faith, who have placed their life's trust in Jesus Christ. And so I just want to make that very clear. If you want to claim the promises and the hope of these verses, you must be willing to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Now, realizing that, you might be here this morning and you might think, you know what, my life just seems like a random series of events. My life just seems like just a haphazard, you know, this has happened, that's happened. There seems to be no real purpose to my life. But the Bible clearly affirms that your life has a purpose. You have been chosen by someone and for something. What's it like to be chosen? You remember fourth grade? You remember in PE? You remember when the PE teacher said, Okay, everybody, we're going to play basketball. All right, so-and-so is going to be captain, and so-and-so is going to be captain. Everybody get in a group, and let's do what? Let's pick teams. Do you remember what that was like? Now, some of you are super macho athletes, and y'all say, Yeah, I was the captain. All right, well, that wasn't me. All right? And it wasn't most of us in here. Uh, you say, speak for yourself, right, Robbie? Well, just go with me on this. Do you remember what it was like? To be afraid, to be the last one picked. And do you remember what it was like for maybe some of you who maybe were more in my category? Do you remember what it was like to be the final two? <laughs> okay, here's, here's the final two options. All right, just flip a coin. <laughs> At that point, we don't care who gets who. 
The Bible says if you're a child of God, you have been chosen by Almighty God. You've been picked for His team. And the way it's put here shows that God gave extreme care in doing this. We might put it like this. He Himself. He did it all by Himself. God chose you. It was His idea. He thought that you were worth choosing. Now I want to look at that word for a moment. It's the word that some people use called election. Some people, some Christians, some theologians really spend a lot of time trying to understand things like election. Let's talk about it a little bit. The Bible clearly calls for us to make a decision about God. But it also teaches that we won't or we can't make a decision. We can't choose Him unless He first makes a decision to choose us. Now, to reverse that, we could say the Bible tells us that we won't come to God, John 6, we won't come to God unless He first works in our lives. But it also issues, issues a call in Romans ten thirteen that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so it issues a call to everybody to respond to Him. It also tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God is not willing for any to perish, but He's wanting all to come to a knowledge of the truth. And you say, Robbie, you're speaking out of both sides of your, both sides of your mouth. Well, I don't know how to unpack that for you. It's the notorious struggle between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. The Bible says God chooses us. God elects us. God picks us. But it also tells us to choose Him or receive Him. A good verse that maybe helps with this is John six thirty seven. Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Maybe we should say it like this. Listen, if you are willing to receive him, then good. You've been elected. Amen? (laughs) If you have a desire in your heart right now to receive Jesus Christ, then praise God. You've been chosen. You've been elected. God has put his love upon you and he's speaking to you and he wants you to come to him. Let's don't try to break it down too much here. That's not the point of these verses. That's the problem that Christians get into sometimes. We like to philosophize. We like to... Is that a word? (laughs) We like to... See, it doesn't even make sense talking about it. We like to think about abstract thoughts and principles, but that's not the point of these verses. If you want to think about that and argue about that, wait till we get to Romans chapter 9, all right? But this portion of Scripture is just saying, just enjoy it. Don't break it down too much. Just praise God. This is not a place to get a headache. This is a place just to say, thank you, God had an election before time began and he picked you. He went into the voter's booth and he turned your knob. If you've received him, you can know that he voted for you because he had a purpose for your life. Now, what was that purpose? In the Bible, election was to something. Election meant there was a purpose. Paul tells us one of the things that God did that for Now, notice this. It says, just as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And then it says that. And you could actually translate that so that. When you see that in Scripture, so that is a purpose statement. So that helps you know here's the purpose. So that we would be holy and blameless 
before Him. We would be holy. We would be special for God, that we would be blameless before God. In God's presence, that word blameless means that we would be without spot or without blemish. In the Old Testament, that's the way a sacrifice had to be. In order for a person's sins to be forgiven, in order for a person to be able to come before God and have a relationship with Him, the sacrifice had to be without blemish. Now, remember what I said? He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Before the world began, i.e., before you were around, i.e., before you did good or before you did bad, before anything else happened, before God created anything else, He was thinking about you. And He was planning and He was purposing that you could one day have the possibility of standing before Him clean. Does that not just wash over you? I'm not clean today, I'm going to tell you. If you know me for very long, you'll know that. I'm a sinner, but I am washed. <laughs> I am cleansed. I am whole before God because He decided before the world began that He was going to make me without blame in Jesus Christ. Are you here today and you think that your life is never going to amount to much? Has your life taken some pretty tough turns? Do you wonder sometimes, God, what on earth could possibly be the purpose for my life? What good could my life possibly serve? These verses tell us God created you to become something. He had a purpose for you. And that purpose, if for no other good reason, was that He could make you guiltless. Not guilty, but guiltless before Him. What if you got a speeding ticket last week and you deserved it? I know we'd all argue that. But let's just, let's just go with me. You deserved it. And then you get a notice in the mail. And they said this. We decided that out of all the violators, we were going to cancel some of the traffic tickets. Congratulations. You were one of the ones that we decided to cancel. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? <laughs> oh, oh, thanks. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I was wrong. I know I was wrong. I mean, I was dead. I told them I was speeding. I deserve to pay it. But thank you. Have you made many mistakes in your life? And as a result of that, you've experienced much guilt and shame. And you've wondered, could you ever possibly ever get away from those memories? There's good news for you. If you will trust in Christ, you are chosen as one who can have their record cleared. Because the head honcho himself sent out a letter and said it. Almighty God has said your record can be cleared. In fact, if you will receive me, I've already chosen you as being one to clear. Isn't that incredible? Isn't it incredible that before the world began, I want you to think about it. Of all the things, let's put it in our perspective, of all the things God has to do. <laughs> you know, when you're planning on having family come over, friends, there's a lot of prep work, right? Can you imagine creating the universe? What all had to be thought of and planned out, if you think about it from our perspective, all the things that had to, be, had to be worked on and thought through, can you imagine that I and that you were most critical to God? How He must care for us. What plans He must... How critical we must be to His plan for this world that before the rest of it was formed, 
we were on his mind first and foremost. And by the way, how little, and this is not a put down for us, but it should be an encouragement to us, how little must we have to do with it? I mean, if something had happened in my family 20 years before I was born, I'd say, well, it was rotten that I had to experience that in our family, but, but it happened 20 years before I was born. What about 100, 1,000? What about in eternity past? I think that kind of tells me I had nothing to do with this. God graciously, he just decided that he was going to have a purpose for my life, that he was mapping out a plan for me and for you. You know, it's one thing for somebody to do something nice for you like that, to make you holy, to make you special, to, to take away your blame. But it's a whole different thing. I mean, when the judge sends me a letter and says, we just decided to clear some people, that's one thing. But what if the judge said, and I think so much of you, I'm going to make you my son. That's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? Not only does God have a purpose for you, but he has a place for you. In verses 5 and 6, it says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. And I'm telling you, Ephesians, I mean, you forget what you read last, because there's just all these prepositions, there's all these new thoughts. I mean, Paul just gets so excited, so we're going to try to break it down a little bit here, but, but let's just put it down in, in just easy terms for us, he had a place for me. You know, God has a sense of humor. This morning, <laughs> I had my clock radio turned on. Okay, I had the, the alarm turned on for clock radio to come on. I kid you not, when it came on this morning, this is what the guy said. In Ephesians 1.5, in the New Living Translation, it says, His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. That's what I heard first thing this morning. It's nice to know you're preaching the right message. Amen? All right. I feel pretty confident about that today. But listen to those verses. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. You know, it's hinted at in what we just talked about. God doesn't just decide to remove debts. He removes debts because he wants relationships. He has a spot. He has a place for me and for you and his family. And he thought about us being there a long, long time ago. In verse 5, it tells us he predestined us. Now, that's another word that people like to think on a lot. The root word is the word that we get our word horizon from. It means to separate or to, to make a boundary or to determine or to distinguish. And it has a preposition attached to it, which gives the idea of to separate or to set a boundary beforehand. And so what it's saying is, if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, long ago, God marked us off. He distinguished us in some way. Now, what was the thing that God marked us for? It tells us right here. He marked us. He predestined us. He set us aside, if you want to use that, that, that term. He predestined us to adoption as sons. Contrary to popular opinion, we are not all God's children. In order to become God's children, we have to be adopted. 
We have to be brought into his family. That's why adoption is a beautiful picture. I love to see there's so many people in our church family who either have been adopted or are adopting someone, and I think that that is absolutely tremendous. I don't know that there are many better pictures in God's Word of what God does for us as His children than the concept of adoption. If you are a child of God, it ought to bring you great comfort that God marked you to be His own way, way back. Your life might not seem like much sometimes, but listen to me. Remember what it says, predestined? So couldn't I say, I was destined to be a child of the king. Isn't that good? (laughs) I mean, I might come from a difficult background. I might come from rough circumstances, but I was born for royalty. I was destined to be a child of not a king, but the king. And not just any child, because sometimes there are distinctions, aren't they? But a close child, Romans 8 verse 15 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now that term Abba was a word that the Hebrew people would have used that would have meant intimacy. And sometimes people, just to get the sense of that, how we would say it today, they they say, Daddy. Okay, that's kind of the idea. I like to use the term, when I'm talking to the Lord many times in my prayer, I like to say, Dear Father. Because it kind of gives that respect factor, but it's also showing that I don't have to be afraid of him in that sense, but he's a dear father. There's that intimacy. Uh, Papa, whatever, whatever would be intimate for you, there's that idea that when you come before God, you don't have to be afraid of him. He has adopted you into closeness in his family. And how did he do that? He did it through Jesus Christ. He did it through the cross. Let's don't forget that all this that we're talking about when God in eternity past was thinking about this purpose that he had, was thinking about a place at the table of his family that he had for you and for me, he knew that it was going to require of him that his son was going to have to pay the price for the rest of us. His son, his one and only unique son, who wasn't adopted, who is truly his son, he had to die in our place. That would be tough for me. If if we were going to adopt someone to give up one of my biological children so that someone else could come into our family, I don't think so. I don't think it's happening. But that is how much God cared for us. It also reminds us, again, it's clear all all throughout Ephesians and in these verses, it's not because of our efforts, is it? It's through what Jesus Christ has done for us. Some of us here today, you've heard it over and over again. Hopefully, since you've been coming to New Hope, hopefully God's been speaking to you about it as you've been studying His Word, as you've been listening to to other Christian uh, preachers and pastors. But maybe you've heard all your life that you have to be a good person. Well, that sounds awful lot like the world, doesn't it? In order for Daddy to care for you, to like you, to want you, you've got to do real good. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we can't do real good. Jesus did for us. And when I receive Christ, I am accepted completely by God just as if I never had done wrong. And why would He do that? It says because of the good or the kind intention of His will. Do you remember what I read out of the New Living Translation? This brought Him great pleasure. Have you ever thought about God like that? 
Have you ever thought about God as thinking on you and thinking on me with great pleasure? That he just thought that you being a part of his family was a great idea. Isn't that humbling? Me, Lord? Out of all the people in the world, why on earth would anybody choose me? Have you ever pictured God and his attitude towards you like a proud father who just had a baby and wanted to show that baby off to everybody? I mean, it says, and this brought him great pleasure. You know, we're not making this stuff up. You know, sometimes people say, oh, you're just a contemporary church. You got a new message and, you know, you're emphasizing the love part. No, it's here. We've just missed it. Maybe. God, yes, is holy. And we are, yes, sinners. But the gospel is good news. It's not bad news. The good news is if he had done nothing, John 3, verse 18, verses 17 and 18, if he he didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He provided this plan for good news. Just like a father who just had a brand new baby, that's how God feels about you. That's how proud he is to call you his own child. He has a place for you. How do you think it would feel if you were a child who was old enough to understand and somebody came to adopt you, somebody came to where you live to rescue you from a tough situation that you had been in, and you found out that by the time they had gotten to where you were, they had spent two to three years working on getting there. Would that be humbling? What are you you saying? Before you even met me, before you even saw my face, you spent years planning for me, working out a room for me, making changes in your finances for me. You did all of that. You know, I know there's some tough things to understand in this passage, and it might be appropriate to break those things down in another context. But the idea that I've just mentioned comes close to really understanding what this passage is saying. God has been preparing the nursery for you (laughs) from the beginning of history. Let's don't try to dissect it too much. Let's just enjoy it. Amen? In fact, a good breakdown of Ephesians 1 is uh, verses 3 through 14 are praise and verses 15 and following are prayer. (laughs) Kind of sounds like our Wednesday night service. Paul just starts out with praise and then he goes to prayer. And Paul tries to encourage us to just enjoy it by saying this. He says, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Let me paraphrase that for you. We should just clap at the splendor and majesty of the favor that God has shown us. We should just clap. We we should just stop and praise. By the way, that's a refrain that's mentioned three times in these verses. It's mentioned in verse 6. It's mentioned in verse 12. It's mentioned in verse 14. And it kind of puts uh, an exclamation on each one of those sections, that past, that present, that future. We're going to walk through each one of those over the next few weeks. But doesn't that kind of make it like a song? Doesn't it sound like Paul's singing this? I mean, and, and, and even the flow of it, since he, since he kind of just keeps it going, it sounds like he just, he just starts bursting out and, man, let's just think about what God's done for us. And he just pauses, kind of like that, that word that they use in the Psalms, uh, Selah, or however you pronounce that, Jeff. Uh, that word they use that's just kind of a, let's just pause and think about it. That's what it means. So it's like he says, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Let's just pause and think about it. Let's just stop and dance. Just say, thank you, Lord. Does your life seem incidental? 
Does your life seem insignificant? Have you ever felt unwanted or cast out or alone? Maybe you have no parents. Maybe you have nobody that claims you as their own. Maybe your brothers and sisters have disregarded you as part of their family. But God is telling you, my friend, if you will put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you most certainly have been on God's heart the whole time. And I want us just to pause here for a moment this morning and think about. Now, I don't want to go too deep, but maybe we do because we're thinking pretty far back. I want you to think back over your childhood and your growing up years. And I want you to think about your teenage years. And I want you to think about your 20s or your 30s, your 40s or whatever the case may be. I want you to go through each one of those stages and think about all the many things, all the ups and the downs, all the highs and the lows, all the people that have come and gone, all the promises, all the hopes, all the dreams that have been fulfilled or that you've missed out on. Maybe you were seeking Him during that. Many of us were not. But you know what? No matter what your situation, does it not just bring you to a point of of humbleness to know that every step of that way, God had you in mind. He was working out a purpose for you. And He has a place for you in His plan. Maybe you are not yet a child of God today. But God has chosen you, and you know it, don't you? <laughs> you know it, don't you? If you're out there today and God's speaking to your heart, you know it. You might be fighting it, but you know it in your heart that God has been speaking to you. You're one of mine. That's what he's saying, isn't he? And it's hard because I don't know what this is going to mean. I don't know what this is. And you're trying to work through it all. But really, if everything were just kind of pulled aside, you would say, I know over the last few weeks that God has been putting his finger on me, and he's been saying, I'm one of his. And it's time for me to choose Him. It's time for me to receive that gift. That's what I want to do today. I want my birth certificate to be written out on this day. I want it to be affirmed for all time that Jesus Christ is mine. Friend, today you can do that right now. Sometimes I think people don't do that because it seems so Johnny come lately. Well, I just walked in the doors here. I wasn't expecting anything and now I'm going to get saved and change my life. Hopefully today is giving you a little bit bigger perspective. You might have thought you were just coming for church today. But God's affirming something in your heart that He's saying you may not be able to fathom, but it's a work that He's been doing long before you were around. That's kind of hard to take, isn't it? That's kind of hard to swallow. But remember what I said? We can break it down later. Just praise Him today, amen? Just enjoy it. Just say, God, yes. Yes, yes, I don't know all that this means, but I know that I have fallen short of your plan. I know that Jesus Christ paid for me. I believe that he rose again and won what would have defeated and destroyed me. And I want to turn my life over to you today. I affirm, I believe that you've chosen me and put your love upon me. And I want to affirm that today by receiving you as my Savior. Maybe you're here today and you've done that. But you've been living like a pauper. And God's going to begin to speak to you over the next few weeks. Maybe He's begun to speak to you today. I have given you so much. I have given you a checkbook that is full. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we can write out checks for whatever we want. That's what the world wants to do with God's promises. But it does mean this. Whatever you need, 
in Christ that has been provided for you. Are you struggling today with things? Are you praying for things that God has already provided you with? Are you saying, I wish I had this, and God is saying, it is right there for you right now? You know, much of the Christian walk is just surrendering, isn't it? It's just allowing God to do what God would do if I would get out of the way. That's why I like the word surrender better than commitment. Commitment sounds like I decided to do it. Surrender sounds like He spoke to me and I said, okay. Right? Today, if God spoke to you, whatever it is, your language, the way you use your money, the way you're raising your family, the direction your life is taken, your perspective on your life and how it's fallen out for good or for bad. Is God giving you a different perspective today and you need to deal with that? You need to ask Him to forgive you. You need to ask Him to cleanse you. You need to say, God, you know what? I've just begun to get a snapshot of what you're trying to say over these next few weeks. Make my heart open to all that you're wanting to teach me that you've provided for me. Let's pray together. Jesus, as I shared earlier, this is deep water. And I'm not so sure we're going to be able to see everything that's here. But we've got enough today. We've got enough to indicate that there's some treasure underneath us, underneath the surface of this water. And it's worth digging out. Lord, it's too bad that so many Christians are living like that lady who was trying to hoard it all up, save it for someday, when you wanted her to use it today. You wanted her to extend that and to multiply that and to use it in the lives of others. Maybe there's somebody here who is your child, God, and they just need to be encouraged today. They need to see the bigger picture. They needed some wind blown back in their sails today. God is in control. He does love me. He does have a purpose and a place for my life. And may they leave here stronger than what they came. And Jesus, you're going all over this world and you're tapping on the shoulder of people and you're saying to them, I've chosen you to be one of mine. Will you receive me? Lord, today could it be that in this place there are many who've never truly surrendered their will to yours, who've never truly affirmed that they have been chosen as your child and they receive your gift and your salvation, that you are working in their life and they're not afraid to let it be known. They want to be your child today.